Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. Today I'm going to start off with a tip that I got about how to retrieve broken eggshells. As someone who manages to drop an average of one to two eggshell pieces in each baked good matter, I've discovered a trick. The easiest way to fish them out is not with a cooking utensil, or heaven forbid your finger, but with another eggshell. I don't know why or how it works, so I just chalk it up to magic. That from Deb at smittenkitchen.com, and that will come into play at our next recipe from her for sliced egg sandwich. When things are quiet around here, one or two things are usually happening. I'm busy with a side project or traveling far from the physical smitten kitchen. Or I'm really obsessed with eating something that I don't expect to interest anyone but me. This month we have two for two. For the three weeks before I was briefly in San Francisco and Napa last week, I absolutely fixated on this sandwich. Fixated. I craved it every day. Sometimes it was breakfast. Sometimes it was lunch. I could walk by a bagel shop wafting with warm everything seeds by a cloud of bodega bacon, egg, and cheese sandwiches and still be lying home to put a cold boiled egg on a roll with arugula. I know I make no sense. I decided to keep this weirdo thing to myself, but then I returned from California and yes, I had a suitcase full of model bakery English muffins and a stash of dandelion chocolate hot cocoa mix And I still just needed this. I have finally accepted that the only way to move on, at least for long enough that I could tackle the rest of the amazing things I have on our cooking agenda for the summer, was to exorcise it with anyone who cares to join in my strange little preoccupation or not. So think of this like a deviled egg, unmixed or deconstructed egg salad sandwich. The essentials here are a sliced, just about hard-boiled egg. I stop at 9.5 minutes. A hollow roll or slices, but brioche or potato bread would be great too. A great fistful of arugula. And what I consider the perfect sandwich spread, some mayo, sharp Dijon, coarse Dijon, and prepared horseradish. A shot of hot sauce is not unwelcome. The mixture should be sharp. Between the egg and the arugula, I always have a thin layer of something, and it's different almost every time. Usually left over from another dish, like caramelized onions or pickled shallots, shaved fennel. I'd tossed in lemon juice and olive oil, cucumber, and here's some thinly sliced pickles and celery, and every single one is perfect. I cannot choose a favorite, and I won't ask you to. Please have fun with it. Here's the recipe sliced egg sandwich. It serves two, takes 15 minutes, and the source is Smitten Kitchen. You'll need a quarter cup of mayonnaise, one tablespoon of smooth Dijon mustard, two teaspoons of whole grain mustard, two teaspoons of prepared horseradish, salt and freshly ground black pepper, two soft challah, brioche, or potato rolls split or slices from a loaf, butter for toasting, two hard-boiled eggs, cold, peeled, and sliced, thinly sliced pickles, celery, pickled onions, and two cups of fresh arugula, roughly torn. 
To make the sandwich spread, you're going to combine mayo, Dijon, whole grain mustard, and horseradish in a small dish or jar. Season as needed with salt and pepper, and if you wish, a dash or two of hot sauce. This makes a little bit more than you might need, but it keeps for one to two weeks in the fridge, so feel free to double it regardless. Next, you're going to toast your bread, and while you can toast it in a toaster, my favorite way to toast my sandwich rolls is to heat a pad of butter in a nonstick pan over medium heat. Place your rolls cut side down in the pan and cook until the cut sides are golden brown about one to two minutes. Transfer to a plate to cool slightly before assembling the sandwiches. As far as assembling, you're going to generously coat both cut sides of the first roll with sandwich spread. Arrange egg slices over the bottom half and season lightly with salt and pepper. Add pickles or any of the other alternatives suggested below a big handful of torn arugula, and then press the top of the roll down, smooshing everything into place. That's an official term, smooshing. Repeat with the remaining sandwich. Eat right away and repeat daily for as long as the fixation lasts. Personally, I'm walking into the kitchen to make another as soon as I hit publish. So here are some notes. For eggs, here's my go-to method for hard-boiled eggs. For a sliced sandwich, I stop cooking them at 9 minutes and 30 to 40 seconds to keep the centers a dark, never dry yellow. And I love a solid egg slicer. I've had mine for over a decade. For the spread, just for reference, I'm using Hellman's Mayo, Amora Dijon Mustard, Maile, if I'm pronouncing that right, M-A-I-L-L-E, Whole Grain Mustard, and I make my own prepared horseradish over Passover and use it for months after. My current jar of Amora is jarringly sharp, almost like wasabi, and I love it. But just a heads up that you might need to adjust your ingredient levels or seasonings to get the punchiness that I promised with other brands. For the rolls, any store-bought roll will work, but I made rolls recently from my challah recipe, turning one of the two challahs it yields into 12 rolls Yum! They bake in 15 minutes. For additional ingredients, as I mentioned above, I tend to add to the sandwich a thin layer of whatever I have left in the fridge, from pickled to caramelized onions, thinly sliced cucumber, celery, or fennel, and not one has tasted bad. Next recipe we've got is for rice stuffed tomatoes. This too from Smitten Kitchen. Guys, we should definitely, definitely talk about these. Here, I'll go first. I think it's essential that you not let another tomato season pass without making them. I realize that you might imagine rice stuffed tomatoes to be something unappealing. Maybe you had a cold stomach turning one at a buffet wedding too many years ago that its squidgy horror should still be fresh in your mind. And yet, maybe you cannot imagine why anyone would consider rice stuffed inside a tomato to be something noteworthy. Just being rice and tomatoes, possibly two of the most generic foods out there. And maybe you're waiting to hear what I dolled these up with to make them whole interesting. Was there bacon or cheese or caramelized onions? Did I amp it up with whole grains or kale? Maybe I cooked an egg inside, like that one time. And maybe you're going to be disappointed when I tell you that I added nothing just about nothing at all, and that is the best thing about them. I started obsessing over rice stuffed tomatoes a year ago. 
At the time, I loved them because they felt to me like the essence of simple Italian and Mediterranean cooking. This idea that you don't need to lay 16 outside flavors onto things as simple as seasonal tomatoes and plain rice to make them taste amazing. You could coax the maximum flavor out of them with seasoning, by toasting the rice, by cooking them with a tiny amount of onion and garlic and olive oil, and then slowly in the oven. But at the time, I never told you about them because they made me a little sad. At the time, I was moping that the family vacation to Rome, a place I imagined did a fine job with these throughout tomato season, we've been trying to take for as long as we've been a family, had gotten postponed again due to all of these real-life things that have the nerve to get in the way of a good time. I mean, I know that sometimes, as a grown-up, you don't get to do everything that you want, but I was starting to question the point of working all the time and spending scrupulously, if I didn't, at least every few years, lead to things that we really wanted? Who knew what a year could bring? Certainly not me. A few weeks later, my son turned three. A few weeks after that, this cookbook I wrote came out, and I spent most of the fall in and out of cities and TV and radio stations being consumed by it. January brought a month-long nap, and then in February and March, I was back at it again and decided that if I could make time for 29 awesome towns in five months... Maybe the 30th one could be that vacation that we'd always wanted, and we made it so. That's not all that's changed. A year ago, I made these for dinner, thinking that my tomato-loving, rice-loving son would go to town on them, and dinner harmony would be at last achieved. I could hear all the parents reading along and laughing. Of course, he wouldn't touch them. Tomatoes and rice must be separate, or they're terrifying, obviously. This year, though, he ate two, and then two more for lunch the next day, and yet another thing that seemed daunting or impossible or frustrating a year ago became distant history. Ah, here's to so much more of this. Here is the recipe rice stuffed tomatoes or pomodori ripienze di riso. My best shot at it. <laughs> Adapted from a blend of Rachel Eats, Wednesday Chef, Silver Spoon, and Trial and Error. As I mentioned above, you could deck these out with a number of compatible ingredients. Crisp bits of prosciutto, mozzarella, or pecorino cheeses, olives, or artichokes, and more. Even I couldn't resist straying from the pure tomato rice and seasonings course with a clove of garlic and a few tablespoons of minced onion, as well as a starchier risotto variety of rice. But I'm telling you, it needs none of these things to be late summer dinner bliss. The rice cooks inside the most clear-noted pure tomato sauce you've ever scooped onto a fork, and I want August to always taste like this. This serves six as a side and three as a main. We had these with sausages, but they'd be equally good with last week's kale salad or some salumi. Or you can do this, which is the way it is done in Rome. Peel and cube a few Yukon gold potatoes, toss them with olive oil, salt and pepper, arrange them in the baking dish around the tomatoes, and bake them simultaneously. This not only keeps the tomatoes upright, it provides a delicious accompaniment. You'll need two to three tablespoons of olive oil, coarse or kosher salt, six medium to large, 
Mine were three inches across and they averaged about eight and a quarter ounces in weight. Tomatoes, <laughs> so six medium to large tomatoes. Red pepper flakes to taste. One quarter medium or a half a small onion finely chopped. One garlic clove minced. Nine tablespoons of arborio or another short grain starchy rice. Few tablespoons of chopped parsley, oregano, or slivered basil, or a mix thereof, up to you. A handful of breadcrumbs if you're using. Unless you're using gluten-free breadcrumbs, this will, of course, negate the dish's gluten-free status. Heat the oven to 350 degrees. Lightly coat an oven-proof baking dish with olive oil. And then prepare the tomatoes. You're going to cut the tops off the tomatoes and scoop out tomato juices, seeds, and flesh into a non-reactive, so that's just about anything but aluminum, bowl. I like to use a grapefruit knife to make the first cuts and then a spoon to remove the rest, but you can use anything you have around. Being careful not to pierce the bottom of the tomatoes. Salt the cavities of the tomatoes and turn them upside down on a plate to drain. Then you're going to prepare the reserve. Run the scooped out tomato flesh and juices through a food mill or pulse in a blender until coarsely pureed. Heat a large skillet over medium heat, then add two tablespoons of olive oil, heating it, and then once hot, add the onion, garlic, and red pepper flakes, cooking them together for two minutes or until the onion begins to soften. And then add rice and cook them together for three minutes or until the rice toasts a little bit. Add the tomato puree and bring to a simmer, then reduce heat to medium-low. Season with 3 quarters teaspoon of salt and then cover the skillet with a lid and let simmer for 10 to 15 minutes, stirring occasionally until the rice is par-cooked. Adjust the seasoning if needed. If you're using the potatoes, as mentioned in the notes up top, prepare them while the rice simmers. Then you're going to reassemble the tomatoes. Stir fresh herbs into the tomato rice mixture. Arrange tomatoes right side up in the baking pan and then spoon the mixture into the tomatoes, filling them just 7 eighths of the way to leave room for the rice to finish expanding. You're going to coat with breadcrumbs if you're going to use those that you can drizzle lightly with olive oil. Or you can replace the tomato lid on each. Although I did do not spend 10 minutes trying to match them back up as I did last summer. It is pointless. Next, you're going to bake uncovered for 30 minutes until the tomato walls are soft and the rice inside has finished cooking. Serve hot and then repeat again tomorrow. Our next recipe is for Romesco potatoes. This is also from Smitten Kitchen. Meet my new favorite potato dish. Oh, those mustard roasted potatoes were wonderful, weren't they? And who doesn't love baked pomme frites and latkes? They were a force to be reckoned with, but they're dead to me, or they would be if in some cruel parallel universe I was to choose only one way to eat potatoes this day forth. I should have made this years ago when my friend Louisa got all adorably shouty over them. Roasted and raw garlic, toasted nuts, fried bread, mellow thyme, hot chilies, creamy potatoes... I have the cookbook, and I've yet to make a recipe from it that did not blow my already-going-obsessed mind. But it took me until that aforementioned tapas party to put these chili peppers, hazelnuts, almonds, fried bread, and herbs together in a blender. 
I blame the one and a quarter cups of olive oil. I mean, I'm not, I'm sure I'm not fat phobic, but that there is a lot. What makes it is that the sauce that you stir those into, those lucky, lucky tubers, and it yields twice the volume that you need for the potatoes, but please don't have the recipe. You will regret it as soon as it is good on these potatoes as it is on meat, fish, and your spoon sneaking some tastes. And what is this here romesco of which I swoon? It is splendid. Chilies, which manage astoundingly not to be so much Tabasco hot, but punchy and bright. A piece of fried bread, peeled tomatoes, garlic, thyme, almonds, and hazelnuts are ground with olive oil, and the result is regretfully like nothing I have ever had before. It's busy, loud, and hearty. It could be the New Yorker of sauces, um, if it were not actually uh, Catalan. Nevertheless, it can't escape to here any time. Here's the recipe, Romesco potatoes, adapted from Sunday suppers at Luke's, the potatoes more generously adapted than the sauce. For the Romesco sauce, you'll need five ancho chilies, two tablespoons of raw almonds, two tablespoons of blanched hazelnuts, or you can rub their skins off once they are toasted and cooled. That's another option. One and a half cups of extra virgin olive oil, one slice of country bread about one inch thick, one third cup of canned San Marzano tomatoes. I bought whole tomatoes. Not sure why I would use puree the next time. One clove of garlic chopped, one tablespoon of chopped flat leaf parsley, one half of a lemon for juicing, a splash of sherry vinegar. If you cannot find it, you can use a mild wine or balsamic vinegar instead. And kosher salt. For the potatoes, you'll need one and a half pounds of Yukon Gold potatoes, full size or minis work, one quarter cup of extra virgin olive oil, four to five cloves of garlic unpeeled, two bay leaves, six spring times, sprigs, sprigs of thyme, uh, plus two teaspoons of thyme leaves. Um, and I left this out accidentally, and it was fine without it. So up to you on how much time you want to use. One cup of Romesco sauce, that's from above, and two tablespoons of chopped flat leaf parsley, kosher salt, and freshly ground black pepper. You're going to make the sauce and preheat your oven to 375 degrees. You're going to remove and discard the seeds and stems from the chilies and then soak them in warm water for 15 minutes to soften. Strain the chilies and pat dry with paper towels. Meanwhile, spread the nuts on a baking sheet and toast for 8 to 10 minutes until they smell nutty and are a golden brown. Heat a large saute pan over high heat for 2 minutes. Add 2 tablespoons of olive oil. Wait a moment for it to heat and fry the slice of bread on both sides until golden brown. Remove the bread from the pan and cool and cut it into one-inch cubes and set aside. Return the pan to the stove over high heat. Add two tablespoons of olive oil and the chilies and saute for a minute or two. Add the tomatoes, season with a half teaspoon salt, and cook for two to three minutes, stirring often until the tomato juices have evaporated. Turn off the heat and leave the mixture in the pan. 
In a food processor, pulse together the toasted nuts, garlic, and fried bread until the bread and nuts are coarsely ground. Add the chili-tomato mixture and process for one minute more. With the machine running, slowly pour in the remaining one cup of olive oil and process until you have a smooth puree. Don't worry, the romesco will break separate into solids and oil. This is normal. Add the parsley, season to taste with lemon juice, sherry vinegar, and more salt if you feel that it needs it. Then you're going to make the potatoes. Place the potatoes in a roasting pan. I used my 12-inch cast iron skillet, which turned out to be a brilliant idea, as I could transfer it to the stove and continue cooking there. I highly recommend if you have one. And then toss well with two tablespoons of olive oil, garlic cloves, bay leaves, thyme sprigs, and a heaping teaspoon of salt. Cover tightly with aluminum foil and roast the potatoes until tender when pierced. This took 30 minutes for my tiny ones. Larger ones may need 50 minutes. Discard the bay and thyme and squeeze the garlic out of its skin and set aside. Either transfer the potatoes to a large saute pan or transfer the cast iron skillet to a stovetop and heat on high for two minutes. Pour in the remaining two tablespoons of oil. You can get away with one tablespoon if you're using the same cast iron that you roasted the potatoes in and it is well seasoned. You're going to turn the heat to medium high and wait one minute more. Add the potatoes and smash them with your spatula or a fork until a little broken up and then season with thyme leaves, salt and pepper, and saute them for six to eight minutes until they're crispy on one side. If they are stuck to the pan, don't try to remove them. They will eventually release themselves. After they brown nicely on the first side, turn them until they color on all sides. Spoon the romesco sauce and reserve garlic over the potatoes and stir. Toss in the parsley and adjust seasoning seasoning if necessary. As far as doing ahead, the sauce can be made up to two weeks in advance and kept in the fridge. Uh, You can use the extra on sandwiches, with cheese, eggs, grilled fish, and roasted meats. Once the dish is assembled, and if you're not ready to serve it yet, turn off the heat and leave the potatoes in the pan. Just before serving, reheat for a few minutes and add the parsley at the last minute. So here's a little extra note. Guys, I'm chilly clueless. It's pathetic. Kitchen market, stocking everything, knowing all, once helped me hide this fact from the public, but in their absence, left to fend for myself, I was only able to find something called the New Mexico Red Chilies. And you don't want to know how long, very long, I spent trying to figure out whether they were hotter or less hot or bigger or smaller than the chilies that I was supposed to to use. So I ended up using three instead of five and regretting it as the sauce could have had five without being more than just moderately hot. So it's good to know your chilies. Just a suggestion. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303 786 7777.